Our study from the Westminster Shorter Catechism this evening is question answer 66, but first want to um, go back to question 63 where we get the reminder of the commandment that we're looking at because somebody wisely pointed out, oh, can you just tell us which commandment from the Ten Commandments we're looking at? So thank you, Bob. Um, but starting with 63, which is the, first com- the fifth commandment. The fifth commandment is, honor thy father and thy mother that thy days may be long upon the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee. And then the question and answer we consider this evening, what is the reason annexed to the fifth commandment? The reason annexed to the fifth commandment is a promise of long life and prosperity as far as it shall serve for God's glory and their own good to all such as keep this commandment. So looking at this answer here, of, you know, focusing on that, that extra statement of, of living long upon the land that the Lord gives us. Um, I'm reminded of Romans 13 verses 1 and 2. It says, let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. And so just this reminder that you know, the, the, the authorities that, that serve over us, um, they're there by God's providential hand. It's by his plan. And, uh, and they have a responsibility to, to do good. And, uh, and we, we praise God when they, when they do good for their, their citizens. And, and maybe we, we don't give them enough credit for the, the good that they do. But, and we often think of the, the times in which they've, they've failed in the, the duty of taking care of their citizens, the people who are underneath them. And so, like, I know it's in, in my nature to, to want to be critical of the authorities that, that are over me, but we see you know, God is the one who has given us these leaders. And regardless of if we agree or disagree with the way that they, they lead us, God's the one who put them there, and, and if we resist them, if we dishonor them, then we're actually dishonoring God who put them into their places. Now, if they command us to do sin, you know, we're going to listen to God rather than, than our leaders, but you know, just this call for us, honor your, your earthly leaders, honor the, the earthly authorities, give them respect, because when we honor them, then we're honoring the God who has put them there into place. And, uh, and so we see, you know, if we honor our leaders, we honor the Lord, and then what is the result? The Lord works for the peace and the prosperity of our land. And let's just think about this on a practical level. What, what if we as, as citizens, you know, if, if we who have leaders over us, if, if we are being respectful to the leaders who are over us, and if the leaders who are over us are being respectful to the citizens, if we're being all respectful to each other, don't you think there is going to be more peace and prosperity in the land? things would definitely be much better. And things will never be perfect until you know, Jesus comes and he gets to be our king directly. But you know, if we had civil dialogue in our civil government, we would have much more peace. And yet when we have a, a culture of, of people distrusting each other, um, kind of like I just see you know, 
over the years, we get these cycles of one political party seems to have power and then people get angry with them because we tend to be angry with our leaders and then you get another party in and, and then you, know, you get the same kind of criticisms or similar going to, to the other party but it keeps going back and forth and back and forth and you know, we're in a place right now that I've heard a lot of people describe as being like a, a cold civil war and, and we pray for peace, we pray for, for things to, to calm but um, yeah, if, but if we want there to to be peace in the land, that it would go well with us. Um, we need to find ways to, to give honor to each other, even if there are disagreements, and to then direct each other to the God who puts everyone into place. And so it's a point that I make often, and I even made a similar one this, this morning, that if we want to fix our politics, then we need to fix the spiritual condition of our country and uh, make the... the the work of God's hand to be central in everything that we do. Our, our study from God's Word this evening, we're going to be looking now at Proverbs 31, verses 10 through 31. And in the evening, we've been doing our series, Roar, uh, using the themes of Mama Bear Apologetics, um, but, using, but then studying the truths of God's Word. Because Mama Bear Apologetics have a nice, simple method for for analyzing and responding to, to world views, um, good summaries of the lies that are in our culture. Uh, but tonight, we're gonna be considering feminism, and not all the ages of feminism, but, but particularly the modern versions of feminism. Uh, we're gonna be comparing God's purpose for women and then looking at modern feminism and the way that it rejects God's gender distinctions, the purpose that he has placed into women as well as considering a bit of, of the, the men's roles as well. Um, but a question I want you to consider, especially as we're going to be reading from Proverbs, which view gives more dignity to women? Is it the view that's given to us in the Bible or is it the view that's given to us in modern feminism? Which gives more dignity and honor to women? But let's, let's pray and ask God to bless our reading. Father, we come to your, your word knowing that you are the source of truth. And, and even if your word runs against our expectations, what you give us is far better. Because our own solutions to our own problems are wholly inadequate. But God, let us see the way that you love us the wonderful, powerful purpose that you have placed in all of us. And this morning with the Cadet Sunday, we, you know, we thought of young men and we're grateful for them, but this evening we give special attention to our women. Let our women be honored and blessed among your people that young women would want to grow up and to be known by your, by, by your name to be among your people, Lord. Let us, let us be such people who, who delight in the plans that you have laid for us. Father, we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So brothers and sisters, let's stand now in body or in spirit, looking together at Proverbs 31, starting with verse 10. Hear these words of the Lord. An excellent wife who can find she is far more precious than jewels. The heart of her husband trusts in her, and he will have no lack of gain. 
she does him good and not harm all the days of her life. She seeks wool and flax and works with willing hands. She is like the ships of the merchant. She brings her food from afar. She rises while it is still yet night and provides food for her household and portions for her maidens. She considers a field and buys it. With the fruit of her hands, she plants a vineyard. She dresses herself with strength and makes her arms strong. She perceives that her merchandise is profitable. Her lamp does not go out at night. She puts her hands to the distaff and her hands to the hold the spindle. She opens her hands to the poor and reaches out her hands to the needy. She is not afraid of snow for her household, for all her household are clothed in scarlet. She makes bed coverings for herself. Her clothing is fine linen and purple. Her husband is known in the, in the gates when he sits among the elders of the land. She makes linen garments and sells them. She delivers sashes to the merchants. Strength and dignity are her clothing, and she laughs at the time to come. She opens her mouth with wisdom, and the teaching of kindness is on her tongue. She looks well to the ways of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. Her children rise up and call her blessed, her husband also, and he praises her. Many women have done excellently, but you surpass them all. Charm is deceitful and beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Give her of the fruit of her hands and let her works praise her in the gates. Brothers and sisters, the grass withers, the flower fades, Let me see that. So over the years, I've heard from women mixed feelings of Proverbs 31. Uh, sometimes I, I hear, you know, this great encouragement of like, look at this, you know, this purpose of womanly strength that God has laid out for us. And uh, sometimes I hear, that is quite the checklist. I don't know if I'll ever be able to live up to that one. I don't know, is anyone... Ever heard or felt that response? Yeah. Looking at Proverbs 31, you know, I recognize that it is, it is a bit idealistic in the way that it frames it, but what it teaches us is, is just a symbol of, of feminine strength. You know, I think what, what we have here is a, is a picture of if it was not for the thorns and the thistles that sin has brought into this world, what would womanhood look like? You know, it would look like Something like this, of, of you know, all the work that is able to be accomplished, the, the praise and the, the honor that, that she earns by the loving, the caring, the, the conquering that, that she is doing. Um, but we try to compare it to this life and realize that there's a lot that is listed in here. And that takes time and skill to be able to do it all. Um, I've heard some other people point out that you know, when we look at, at Proverbs 31, don't think of this as like, a checklist of, all right, it's a new day. Let's start with verse one. Let's see if we can get this accomplished and see how far can we get through. Well, I guess verse 10 in this case, but you don't think of it as the checklist of things you need to get done every single day as it is just a description of what feminine strength is able to accomplish over a lifetime. Um, it doesn't have to be something that is done all within a day, but we see here is one of honor one of beauty, one of strength. 
God is giving us a picture of why womanhood is a necessary good for his people, for his families, and for communities. And uh, in Proverbs 31, it, it flies in the face of what a lot of people accuse the Bible teaching about women. Because I've heard a lot of people say that the Bible's not very nice to women. The Bible is, is really demeaning to women. And, and I was actually surprised um, when, you know, when, when I had become a, a minister in the Christian Reformed Church, I had to take a few classes. Um, I had to take a few classes through Calvin Seminary because you know, I'd come from a Presbyterian denomination. They want to make sure I wasn't too Presbyterian, but I could be Reformed enough. And in one of the classes I took, it was their hermeneutics class, which is how do we read the Bible rightly? And something that they had taught was something called a redemptive flow hermeneutic. Okay, what is that? Well, it's, it, the premise is the ultimate ethic of God is not always contained in the Bible. Which that right there should trouble us in a phrase like that. Um, but what you look at is that God lays out a trajectory, you know. And so one of the classic examples that they use, and they spend a lot of time focusing on this, this the, the case that they made is, if you look at the Old Testament, what the Old Testament says about women, it says that women are weak, they're lesser, they're foolish. In fact, women, they are more like animals than they are like humans. The Bible treats them like property and gives them no dignity. Uh, however, when we come to the New Testament, you see, okay, guys, you need to lighten up on your wives. We know they're not going to be as good as you, but you need to treat them nicely and pretend that they could be as good as you. And so if you look at it, you know, like, you, know you look at the, the Bible where it's like, you know, Old Testament, they're not really human. New Testament, well, you got to treat them at least like they're humans, even though they'll never be quite as good. And, all right, let's look at the, where's the trajectory going. And we know what God really wanted to tell us is that there should be today absolutely no difference between men and women in any regard. We are supposed to be totally equal. There's a lot to unpack here with, with what was being taught in their seminary to the pastors on how to, to read the Bible. But you know, one, one of these things here is when we come and we look at, at the Old Testament, does it actually talk about women as being subhuman or, or weaker or not worthy of dignity. We just read Proverbs 31. Is, women, is that how you're described here? <laughs> no. Yeah. The picture that's painted of womanhood is, is a titan of, of industry. You know, she's, she's taking names and she's getting things done. And so, yeah, to say that the Bible treats women to, to be subhuman, I mean, that's... That's, that's foolishness. That, that is, is painting just a, a lie upon the, the Bible and, and what it lays out here for us. But, you know, people wonder, like, part of the question of the redemptive flow hermeneutic is, well, if, if, if God's message was something completely different than what you say is in the Bible, well, why didn't God just say it back then? And, and the response that was told is, well, because, you know, the guys were so misogynistic back then that if they were told they had to treat their wives as equals, they would just abandon God altogether, which that right there, too, is just like, we have had something very toxic um, that, that, is, that is coming between men and women in our culture today and in far too many of our churches. 
Like, we're not meant to be enemies against each other. We're meant to be workers. We're meant to be teammates. We're loving and caring each other, building each other up. Like, again, like just looking at Proverbs 31, how does it describe the essence of womanhood here? Verse 17, she dresses herself with strength and makes her arms strong. Like, women are not weak in the sight of God whatsoever. And yet even though, you know, this woman here of Proverbs 31 is, is a titan of industry, also notice that this is not the same kind of strength as the modern girl boss. Anyone heard the term girl boss before? You know, the, the term girl boss is saying like, you know, a girl boss is going to be a woman who um, she's not going to take a backseat to anybody. You know, she's going to become the CEO of the company and her husband and her kids, they're going to get behind her making sure that she can achieve her dreams. Is that the kind of industry that this woman has? No, we see that she's a woman of strength, she's a woman of industry. For what purpose? For the building up of her home, of her family, her husband, her kids, her community, that to be blessed with taking care of those who are poor, those who are needy. She is a woman of strength so that those who are wounded, those who need nurturing, can be blessed and built up. So it's not necessarily the, I'm woman, hear me roar, now get behind me. No, it's one who has even a Christ-like example of, of considering the needs of others and putting them before herself. And so this, you know, looking here, you know, just this, this example of, of a woman of strength, but using that strength for the building up of her family, making it sh- uh, the family stronger, you know, highlights one of the key differences between men and women as we do see it in the Bible. Because when we look at the Bible's example of manhood and womanhood, we see the difference between men and women isn't just about the plumbing. You know, it's not just the, the physical nature of, of men and women, because you know, we can look at the chromosomal differences between men and women, but there's a spiritual difference that he has given to us. We each have roles and responsibilities that we're called to, to play. And one of the ways I like to describe it is that men have a covenantal responsibility to lead through sacrifice. And I especially love the, the imagery of, of men and women as it's given in Ephesians chapter 5. But men are called to love as Jesus loved the church. And how did he do it? He laid down his life for his bride. And so we see that we as men, we are meant to tear ourselves down for our family so that our family would be protected from the harms of this, this world. You know, fighting against the thorns and the thistles, the, world, the, the wolves, the thieves that, that are out there. What's the covenantal responsibility for women? If men were supposed to tear ourselves down for the sake of our family, the covenantal responsibility of the women is to build up what is broken. And if you are married, you know, then part of that building up what is broken is your husband as he you know, sacrifices himself, letting himself be torn down for, for you and for the rest of the family. But this isn't something that just needs to happen within marriage, but just that, that ability, that desire to, to fix to raise, to, to feed, to take care of each other is a power and a strength that is a necessary good. And, um, and when I say for men, you know, they have, we have the responsibility of leading through sacrifice, doesn't mean that there's no sacrifice in, in being a, a mother, a wife, or, or a woman in, in, in our community. You know, it does involve sacrifice because with sin in this world, you can never avoid that, but um, 
But the responsibility of the sacrifice, the tearing down, is given to men, and the responsibility for the building up is given to women. But together, uh, we're able to do the work of the kingdom that God has called us all to be a part of. And so we see the Bible does paint womanhood differently than manhood, but it doesn't make men or women to be lesser than the other. Both are a necessary good for God's kingdom. And when women take hold of their feminine strength, it gives an honor that is far greater than what this world offers to us, especially when we consider to what we're going to be talking about in just a little bit of modern feminism. But just, just to highlight verse 28, her children rise up and call her blessed, her husband also, and he praises her. This is not a picture that men and women are in an everlasting battle against each other. No, we are meant to be bonded together. Whether we're talking about the, the, the bond of marriage between a husband or a wife or just us as brothers and sisters of the Lord working together, it is an honor when we take our part and use the strengths that God has given to us. So thinking a little bit of the, the feminist movement, you know, I've been trying to be careful of talking about the modern feminist movement because there have been several different waves of feminism. And the very first wave of feminism is, it was one that was a push to, to give women equal rights as citizens. So those, that would be the right to vote, the right to own a business, the right to be able to go to war. Um, and, and we can see a lot of very clear very clear value or good in the, the first movement. Now, personally, I don't like the idea of women going to war for the sake of combat because that flies in the face of, what did I say as men, what are we supposed to do for the women? We're supposed to sacrifice and tear ourselves down for them. And so if we're letting women go stand in front of us in battle so we can hide behind them, I think we're dishonoring that. But is there a lot of work that is necessary, the healing and the, the supply chains, logistics and everything? Like, you know, there could be a role, but... Um, and then thinking, too, of the, the right to, to vote. You know, the, there was a, a shift in, you know, previously in the days, of instead of votes simply being you know, something that individuals did, it was the idea that there was a vote for each household, and the, the father of the household was the one who would cast that vote. So I think maybe we've over-villainized the previous view, because um, it, it was about the idea of a family as one unit. And I, I think maybe we've lost a little bit of the value of thinking of, of family identity, but logistically, it solves a lot of problems. If, if every individual of age who's able to vote, I you know, see a lot of good in that. And especially when you look at you know, women being able to have a business, do business. I mean, does that not fit in here in, in, in Proverbs 31? As he's buying, selling fields, he's going and working with merchants, dealing with people from afar. Like, yeah, when we think of the original feminist movement, um, Maybe, the, you know, maybe we could talk about nuances of it, but the overall push, was, was, I believe, was right and good. But once those desires, those goals were achieved, instead of saying, all right, we did it, team, and everyone's got equal legal rights, that's fantastic, and saying, okay, now let's start partnering and working together. No, the war continued. The battle between the sexes went on. And so then, you know, what has the fight become. Well, what we see is the modern feminist movement is actually working to try to erase the biblical notions of feminine strength. 
They see feminine strength as described in the Bible. They see it as a liability. They see it as a weakness. That if you're going to be helping the family and not going out into business and helping yourself, then that means that you have been made a slave. And so the modern feminist movement is one that seems to despise whenever women show feminine traits. Essentially, the message is that women have no value for being women. Women are only valuable if they start acting like men, which is a tremendous devaluing of women, despite what the message says it's trying to do for women. So using the, the, the four steps that's given in the Mama Bear Apologetics book, which just, you know, celebrating the things that women are able to, to do. The, you know, the, the book that where I'm grabbing these themes from is a book that's written by mothers, so it's just a good example of the value that they can do for families and the strength and the wisdom that they're able to apply. But, but just that, that simple method of you know, recognizing the, the message, offering discernment, arguing for a better approach, and then reinforcing through discernment, discipleship, and prayer. Um, recognizing the message the, the modern feminist movement is known, could be known as gender Marxism. So just previously we were talking about Marxism. Traditionally we think about it in an economic uh, framework where there is a forever battle between the rich and the poor. And it is a battle that will never be overcome, but sometimes those who are poor will become the next rich, and the, those who are rich will become poor, but there will always be this fighting between the rich and the poor. They take the same framework of Marxism, but swap out money, but now put in gender or sex. And they would say that men and women are forever in a battle against each other. And sometimes one will be on top, sometimes it'll be the other, but we will never bring a, a peace or reconciliation between the two until we can destroy all notions of distinctions between men and women. Only once we believe there is no such thing as a man or a woman can we actually bring an end to the battle between the men and the women. So along with that, you know, the, one, the second principle is the belief that there is a war that is being waged on women. And so the idea is that, like, women, don't you know that even men, when, even if we try to act like we're nice and polite, we're really just trying to put you in your place. And so, like, a classic example is, you know, if men hold the door for, for women, I've, I've had it before, where I've tried to hold the door for a woman, it's just like, don't you think I can hold that door for myself? And just being like, it's like no, I'm not holding the door for you because I believe you're weak, I'm holding the door for you because I believe you're honorable, and I'm trying to give you respect. But it's an interpretation that, oh, we know that men cannot do nice things for women. It's just not within us. And so there will be this forever battle. And if it seems like they're trying to be polite, they're really just trying to make you, you know, internalize your weaknesses. Really crazy messed up ideas. But I've heard language like that. Another thing that's coming from modern feminism is the belief that, that men are unnecessary. We don't actually need men in our society. Women can do everything that men can do, so men are unnecessary. Um, and so this is a push for, for women to, to stay and remain single. Just go out there, get a job that makes lots of money, and buy a few cats, and you'll be happy. You don't need anything else. <laughs> Some laughs. You know, so maybe somebody's heard that stereotype before, but it's out there. 
and, uh, and then you know, along with this, this idea, if men are unnecessary, you know, there's this view that anything that men can do, women can do better. And uh, maybe you've heard the, the, the argument before, if women were in charge of the world, there would be no wars. Anyone here talk like that before? Yeah, just this idea of like, it's, it's the men who are causing the problems. If we could just get men out of the way, things would be easy. And so there is a great demeaning of, of men that is done through modern feminism. Not just the self-demeaning, the self-owning that they do, but think of just in television. When was the last time you saw a dad on television that was not stupid and lazy? You know, I, I don't have an example off the top of my head, but you know, it's, it's been a while because modern feminism wants us to think that men have nothing to offer and all the, the worth is within women. I've even actually heard um, arguments by, by some women recognizing that theoretically you could, you could conceive a child by taking the, the DNA from one ovary and implanting it in another and having a new child born and uh, they couldn't, can't figure out how to do it you know, from the two parts of, of a guy but you know, the argument is made is, hey, once we figure out how to make this practical, we literally won't need men anymore in this, this world, which, yeah, that's, that's how some, far some people are willing to, to take the, the, the message that is being told in gender Marxism or the, the modern feminist movement. So those are some of the principles trying to, to understand it better. Let's offer some discernment. What are some of the good things that we can celebrate from this movement? Well, the first thing that we can celebrate from this movement is that women are awesome. So ladies, if you didn't know it, let me just make it clear right now, you're awesome. God has made you to be awesome, and he has a good, powerful, beautiful plan for, for you. And, uh, and we just see this in, in the ideal that was laid out here in, in Proverbs 31. This is the essence of, of womanhood. It is not weak, it is not foolish. It's strong, it is, it is pleasing. Um, and so we, as, as Christians, say, Message, women are awesome. That's our message. Um, another message out there, too, that men have often taken advantage of women throughout history. Unfortunately, that's true. Um, we have, there's no end of stories of physical, sexual, emotional abuse that has been done from men to women, and, and that should not be. And if men are doing their job of tearing themselves down to protect women, then we should not have these kinds of stories. And so um, part of the problem um, that has resulted in modern feminism is not the fact that we have too much masculinity in our men today. I would argue that it's that we don't have enough masculinity within our men today because if our men were truly masculine as the Bible lays it out, then we would be taking the hurts and the hits for our wives, for our children, for the women around us not the other way around. So we do want to lament. You know, there has been evil or a warfare of a sort because of the nature of sin of men versus women. But that being said, there's a lot of flaws in feminism. And so one of the big flaws is this whole I can do it on my own mentality has left us in a place where there, there are younger generations of, of women who are not quite as young anymore, getting into the 40s, getting into their 50s, who've been taught this message of girl power their whole life that are now incredibly lonely, incredibly depressed uh, because everything that they've been sold 
um, has been empty for them. And, and just one of these recognitions of, we go back to the Bible and we see when, when Adam was in the garden, if God said to Adam that it was not good for man to be alone, does not mean that he was saying, if I made you to be a woman, it would be just fine, but because I made you to be a man, you know, you should not be alone. That's the idea that both men and women any of us, like, we've been called and designed to be a part of community. We've all been given strengths and weaknesses so that when we work together as a team, our strengths cover each other's weaknesses and we're able to care for each other and be more like the body of Christ. We're designed to be a part of a team, so the you-can-do-it-on-your-own mentality, it is not going to lead to your joy or your empowerment. Second thing that is a flaw worth pointing out, um, feminism just, it rejects reality by pretending there are no differences between men and women. Um, I've even heard some people argue that the fact that we, we look at chromosomes to determine somebody's sex right there is men just imposing themselves you know, upon women in society, which that's a bit of a dichotomy right there because I thought the argument was there wasn't men or women, but you know, just this idea that you can't look at biology. Biology means nothing, you know, because you, maybe you've got a, a male body but a female brain or like, I mean, we're, we're at a point where reality has been completely rejected in the most extreme versions of this because they think that differences are bad, differences are, are evil, but again, we want to celebrate differences. God didn't have to make male. He didn't have to make female. He didn't have to make us two distinct genders or sexes. And he made us this way because it is good for men to be men. It is good for women to be women. And, uh, and just, you know, if we, there are certain things that, you know, cert, certain traits where, you know, if we, we ask men to, to do certain skills, uh, we'll likely fail, but in, you know, vice versa, like just thinking of, of combat, you know, like just one of the things I remember hearing is that they actually had to decrease the size, or the, they had to decrease the power of hand grenades because very few of the, the women were able to throw a hand grenade far enough that they, it would get them, keep themselves out of its own blast radius. And so what did the army do? Instead of saying, well, maybe we should stop putting women on the front lines, they, they decreased the power of the hand grenades. But like, if we just think that there's not a difference in things like upper body strength, you know, we're rejecting reality. But is upper body strength the only strength? No, it's not. There are so many things. And, you know, if you want to ask a man to try to push a child out, like, we're really going to fail at that for many reasons, let alone the fact that, you know, we become, you know, sniveling puddles of, of sorrow every time we just get a cold, right? Like, you know, it's just, there's differences between men and women. Those differences aren't bad. God made them, and they're good. And then the third thing that I pointed out, that modern feminism is really is not dignifying to women at all. It wants to eliminate womanhood, and, and it acts as if the only roles and responsibilities that give us value are masculine roles. Um, actually, it, it seems to be, if women... If women act in feminine ways, that's bad. But if they ask, act in masculine ways, that's good. And if men act in masculine ways, that's a problem. But we want the men to act in feminine ways. This is, this is the upside-down world that we're in. And, and later on, you know, we can talk a bit more about um, 
Gnostic Hermeticism. Uh, anyone hear that term before? Yeah, you've heard me mention it, but I'll unpack that one a little bit more, but that's going to be a bit of a mind trip later on. The title for that one is Queer Theory, but um, yeah, we want women to be women. So argue for a better approach. You see that God has intentionally made women to be different. He did that because it is beautiful, it is wonderful that you women are not like us as, as men. Um, and, and that one of these, these roles that is, is good and beautiful is, is seeing in Ephesians 5, you know, how the husband is to, to play in certain regards the role of, of Jesus Christ and how the wife is to play the role of being the church, of being cherished, of, of being loved. It is not one that takes dignity from women. Christianity is what gives the greatest dignity to women because the Bible says you are valuable specifically because you are a woman. So reinforcing this through discernment, discipleship, and prayer, um, just look for, the, as I pointed out, the, that tendency in our society right now to, to say that it is bad when women are feminine and when men are masculine. Uh, it's a lot of places in our society. Um, but then just find, like, what are these opportunities where we can highlight, you know, when, when the feminine strengths are able to accomplish tremendous good as well as, as masculine strengths as, as well. Um, but, you know, those lies, they're in a lot of places right now. But the way that the Bible lays it out for us is one that leads to the greatest joy and the, the greatest dignity for us all. So let me offer this prayer now. God, we, we pray that you help us to appreciate the ways that you've made us. You've not made us all the same spiritually, physically, emotionally. Even between men, there's differences in men. Between women, there's differences between women too. There are many gifts that you give us to overcome the many weaknesses we have. But let us not despise the gifts that you've blessed us with. Let us lift each other, every single one of us, up with love, respect, and joy. Because when we do so, do we as your church look a lot more like you? And then, as we look like you, will we be able to do your kingdom work in our community and in our homes? Lord, we pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen.